Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The more that the technology increases and speeds up and has this new innovation and disruptive tech, the more the soft skills are valuable. So I would put all my energy in developing my soft skills. And that means networking, the ability to talk with people, the ability to present yourself, the ability to build that human connection. I would just go hard on that. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm gonna choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Back by popular demand, the man, the myth, the legend, Sam Kamani is in the house. I'm so, so excited that we can have a conversation that we record. And the beautiful thing about our friendship is we have so many deep conversations about a wide variety of topics. And I, like you, have been chomping at the bit to get some time together and on the calendar to record another episode because you and I first met, I don't even know, man, it's been a couple of years. Yeah, more than that. Yeah, when was it? Three years nearly. <laughs> wow, that's insane, man. Yeah. I'm super pumped for us to talk. And for those who missed the first episode with Sam, go into the archive and find it. Today, we're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to have a very raw conversation about Web 3.0, generally speaking, uh, and then diving into some of the more specifics as it relates back to the things that you're working on with Cookbook and with your show, Web 3 with Sam Kamani, like what you're doing there, and then all this craziness happening with AI current state. So let's start there, actually. When you and I were talking a couple of days ago, and we were talking about the incredible amount of momentum that's building in the AI space. The thing that you said to me was this technology has been around, but people are only now just starting to like get their hands on it and notice it. Do you think it's reached a tipping point? And if so, why is it reaching a tipping point with chat GPT? Because this is the third version of it. There's been a two version, there's been a one version and four is coming out. Why are we only just now starting to like I feel like it's just getting so much press, so much visibility now more than ever. 
Okay, we will go into that. But first of all, Billy, so, so excited to be talking with you. It is always a pleasure. I cannot wait to catch up again next month in person in LA. But before that, anyone listening, go and check out Billy Samoa Salivi on LinkedIn. He is one of the best content creators on LinkedIn that you can follow. His posts are amazing. Either they are heartwarming or they are hilarious. You have to follow Billy on LinkedIn. With that, let's get into it. Let's talk about AI. Okay. So as we were talking about last time, AI has been there for ages. People have been working on it for last 70 years and it does get hype every now and then and it does get like so i have been following in fact the rise of gpt gpt1 gpt2 gpt3 and what's going to come with gpt4 so i'll talk about some of those things on what we can expect from gpt4 but i can also go a bit into like things like turing test and and the rise of AI and what AI is or what Turing does. Alan Turing was one of the kind of like the fathers of AI. And this is like, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years ago where he came up with the concept of Turing test that, okay, if you, if you are, say, for example, interacting with AI and there is like a curtain or a wall on the other side, AI is generating answers. Maybe you are playing chess. Maybe you are interacting in some other way. You are drawing half the drawing. It's drawing the rest of it. And you cannot recognize it is a human on the other side. Then that means the AI has passed the Turing test. So that, that's what the Turing test is. So if you don't know if on the other side it's a human or an AI, then they then it has said to have passed um, the Turing test. And a lot of the AI, which is specific to the task, can already do that. In most cases, you won't know. You know, you won't be able to tell if the post is written by the LinkedIn post is written by a human or an AI. You won't know if the sound or the music. Chat GPT three can produce symphonies. You can use something like Mid Journey or Stable Diffusion and create drawings and images where you wouldn't know if it's done by a human or an AI. So in those cases, it is purely it has passed that level it is passing the during test dumb question but how does that differ from the singularity very very good question so singularity is a point where it's pretty much ai is uh, more powerful than human be- beings and in some cases once it reaches that it will be more powerful than the whole collective human race right now the AI is specific. So, you know, you would get like a medical sort of AI to scan x-rays and find which one has tumor. So it would be trained on that data set. It would be made for that specific role. You cannot input that program into a walking bot and it will teach it balance because human balance, we take two years to learn how to balance properly to walk, which is a very, very massive skill. People don't realize how big a part of our brain is taken by just learning how to walk. In fact, some sea creatures, when they attach themselves to a rock or another object and they no longer need to walk and have movement, they digest their brain because a huge part of their brain because it's no longer needed. So the same thing, you cannot put program made to create images into a bot 
to do walking and it will be able to walk. No, you'll have to train it on that. So right now, there is no general intelligence as in like there is no AI that can do everything like a human being can do. Like you can walk, you can remember when to breathe, you can make a LinkedIn post, you can do a myriad of tasks. Eat ramen. Yeah, eat ramen. Yes, find the best place to find ribs um, (laughs) in LA. Um, So you can do those things. And one AI cannot do all those tasks at this stage. You know, it cannot be a good father. It cannot be a supportive husband. It cannot be do all the tasks that that a human being can do. So that's where the singularity. Singularity is the point where the AI can do all those tasks. In fact, the AI at that stage would be so powerful that it will, in fact, know how to fail the Turing test, not pass, but intentionally fail so that the human on the other side does not see it as a threat because it has enough comprehension and enough understanding that, you know, if the humans perceive it as dangerous, they will stop it. So that's the point that where singularity would be different in in my point of view. So that's what singularity is. Well, hang on a second. So you're telling me the AI will get to a point where it could be a good husband to my wife. I hope my wife isn't listening to this. Or maybe it's good if she listens. <laughs> Let me give you a tidbit. When I showed my uh, chat GPT to a friend of mine some time ago on the day pretty much it was released, the first thing he said is that he's going to use it to write a poem for his wife. So he, <laughs> and then it, <laughs> because she doesn't know about it, so she's going to be impressed. <laughs> so it's getting there, my friend. <laughs> That's amazing. So, okay. So where are we at current state for passing the Turing test, but then also to reaching singularity? So we are still a long way away from singularity, a long, long way away from it, but we are definitely moving. But I heard some people estimate it could even happen like in this decade, if not the next decade. I've heard some people say that maybe they're wrong, but a lot of estimates are around between 2035 to 2038. But then some people say it's 100 years away. Some people say it's 50 years away. So we don't know what it does rely on is once again, it comes down to energy. People don't realize how energy intensive chat GPT is. So right now, the world has 8 billion people. In the first few days, three or four days, chat GPT had 1 million users. So 1 million is, I don't know, 0.008 of the full global population. So not everyone is using it. And even at that stage, OpenAI, it was costing OpenAI $3 million in just running ChatGPT a day because that's how much energy it takes because AI to run AI is not cheap. And this is a problem that Tesla is going to face as well. To have full self-autonomous driving, the chips would use so much energy that that will reduce the efficiency of the car because to reach like level five autonomous driving. So that is a, that is a problem that we need to address as a human aid. So it all comes back down to energy. If we have enough energy, we can convert any metal into any metal. You know, if we have enough energy, we can do whatever we want in the world. If we have no energy, we are back to sticks and stones, <laughs> living living with sustenance farming. Just like back in the days, over 80% of the whole global population was involved in growing food. Now we don't need to be. We were liberated from that thanks to tractors and stuff. And thanks to AI, we will be liberated from a lot of the white-collared 
drone jobs that AI would increase the efficiency and, and effectiveness or, or productivity that we won't need to do those jobs. So we can do things like be an original content creator and stuff. So, so things like that. And previously, you would need a whole team to do content creation and help you with that eventually where the world is going with AI, you will need less and less people. So one man can do a work of 15 or have a 20 people, just like larger podcasts, such as Tim Ferriss. He has a team of seven, eight people. But in Web3 world, I know Bankless has a team of 30 people. Uh, Defiant has a team of 20 people. You won't need that. An individual can start a podcast and have a team of two people who do everything because editing is so much easier. AI is doing it. Um, AI is creating social media images. AI is automatically posting it. AI is automatically commenting and replying to messages. So a lot of these things will be taken care of that. One of the things that you specialize in is consulting with startups, helping them find their footing and then scaling. You've had exits yourself. You've written a book, The 30-Day Startup, which you and I spoke about the first time we met for a podcast recording. And I'm curious for a business owner listening right now, thinking to themselves, I need to not sleep on this. I need to jump on this. What would you tell them? Like, what's the quickest way they can at least start thinking about how to integrate AI into their business right now? We enjoy a very high standard of living in a Western developed country. That is a result of few different things. One of that is access to credit. The other one is access to energy, energy source. If you always had to burn wood to cook and collect, go and collect wood, it would take so much of your time. Um, And then the third one, so energy, and then the third one is productivity. So the higher the productivity of a country, the higher the lifestyle, and disposable income. That is the general sort of a correlation. So any business, any individual who can increase their productivity can make more money. So the jobs that give you the most productivity in a business will always be paid the highest. So for example, technology jobs and finance jobs allow that because finance jobs give you access to credit, which is another life source for any business. And tech jobs, increase productivity because what was done being done in a business with pen and paper, you could reduce the work of three accountants to one by using things like zero or cookbooks or something like that instead of managing physical books like and so on. So any job that increases productivity. So the number one thing to think about as a business owner is how can you increase the productivity of your business. Maybe your business is making 10 widgets because it's designing 10 widgets every single time. Maybe you can use AI to design that. Maybe it's in the marketing business. You can create more content using AI. You can create more designs using AI. Maybe you're designing web design. You can get the first mock-up done by mid-journey or stable diffusion and and then just adapt and improve from that. So right now, the, the most powerful combination is human plus AI, and that beats just human alone in like nine times out of 10. So that's what I would look at. So it makes perfect sense from a productivity standpoint that you're going to get more product, for lack of a better word, out of less effort. 
yeah, more product out of less effort, less staff, less human resource costs. So that's the number one thing. You can increase your profit margins that way. So how do, would one get started if they aren't currently familiar with the landscape and they're not knowledgeable like someone like yourself? If you were going to say, okay, go here or go or start thinking here, which, is there any particular source yes. or approach you would take? Yes, very, very easy. So ChatGPT currently has data up to 2021 because they like to filter the data and they like to make sure that ChatGPT doesn't go wild like what happened with Tay. So Microsoft launched in 2017, uh, bought chatbot called Tay, which would do uh, tweets and reply on tweets and things like that. But within two days of reading data on internet, live data on tweets and stuff on Twitter, which can be really toxic, it turned into a homophobic Nazi bot. So they had to close it down within two or three days because it was starting to have anti-Semitic messages and stuff. So there is also a limitation of AI because AI uses something called machine learning and it is always learning from what we are saying. So that's how it comes up with all that data. So so that's why you won't get the latest results and you still have to go to Google. You have maybe a law form. What I would do is look at what where is the time going in my office? Is it making some standard contracts? So then search how to use AI to draft uh, employment contract. Maybe I'm an employment law firm. Just giving an example. And fine, there would be, I'm pretty sure there would be an AI software spin up in every niche within the next two months, um, if not already there. So just go and search, see what software could um, automate mundane repetitive tasks in your line of field and just start using those softwares trialing it out it's as easy as a as a google search and then trying it out and you're to your point there's so many different offerings platforms popping up people that have invested time and energy and resources to solve these riddles and decode solutions that can offer a streamlined and more efficient, optimized approach to do any number of business tasks. And if you could embed that into your workflow and it yields, again, more output for reduced effort, then you're maximizing you know, efficiency. So yes. in a minute, I want to get into kind of the types of things and types of topics you're talking about on your show, because I think that's another area that I am deeply curious about. I think a lot of people don't know a lot about. But before we go into the world of Web3 and talking about crypto, NFT, and all the other topics you talk about, I do want to talk about what you think will be the next sort of phase of AI. Because I'm curious about what's going to happen next. Because the person who can look around corners and can start to really, I guess predict the future is going to be the person who's one or two steps ahead of everybody else. Because I think right now, I'll take myself for an example. We've always had the idea and the goal of automating and we've done some of that into our processes. But I feel a little bit... I was so floored by GPT-3 not having seen two or one. I don't have proper footing is what I'm trying to say. And I'm not able to quickly embed this into my business in a, in a meaningful way because I think I was underprepared for just how insanely 
amazing it is. And I'm definitely drinking the Kool-Aid at this point. And I know it's not perfect. And I and I see all the naysayers and the haters. And I kind of chuckle to myself that like, you can hate on this all you want. But I see this as, without question, game-changing everything. Like literally everything we do. When I say we collectively, not just us and a business that I run. But as we look around the corner, so to speak, and think about the future, what are some of the things you think might happen as we launch, as GPT-4 comes out and other things happen, I would love to hear your thoughts on what the future looks like. Obviously, it's just a guess, but what do you think might happen? Let me go back and give you an example of what has happened when this sort of a disruptive change has hit an industry. So before photography came around, this is I'm talking about even black and white photography, you wanted a portrait of yourself you would have to go and find an artist. First of all, you'd have to be a very wealthy nobleman to afford that. So you would find an artist who would create your painting or your family portrait of maybe yourself in a, your full military or your nobleware you know, attire that you have. You do that and someone will paint that and you'll pay that artist, and this is how they would make a living, the artist. Then came the rise of photography. You could get a photographer who could do that, much higher productivity, who could do that way, way faster than an artist would. You You won't have to sit with your whole family, and you still have to be rich at that time because photography was new. It is expensive. Anytime a technology is new, it's expensive. So what artists did was they migrated to Impressionism. And they use bright and vivid colors because there was only black and white photography and you wanted bright and vivid colors. You wanted impressionist image. You'd have to go because a camera couldn't create that sort of an artistic, colorful image until color photography came around. So then artists had to move away from that style as well and move into more and more abstract art and surrealistic art and all these type of art forms that a camera couldn't create because you no longer had to get an artist to create a color image of yourself. You could just get a photograph done at a, at a studio because not everyone had cameras. And so that's how artists responded. And then now we are reaching a stage where AI can make art that is indistinguishable. You can have any style. So behind me, you see paintings that I have made. I can train stable diffusion on my style of painting and colors, and it will have similar strokes and it will create an art in my style of oil painting. So that's no longer an option. So where I think it will go is that it will go into more sort of textures, into more layers, into more experiential art where you get to experience and interact with it to overcome that. So people will go slightly more into sculptures. Um, I'll have those things as a bit more embossed and stuff. So that's just how humans react. But what happens is whenever a new innovation is born, it's not that it takes the slice of the previous, it just increases the whole pie. So there are still probably more artists now in the world than there were 200 years ago. It's just that they are creating art from photographs. So artists will use AI to 
to get some ideas or get their creative juices flowing. And in fact, it will increase the whole art space because the whole pie gets bigger. And that's what happens. And that's why, even though if you looked at US of 1850, about, I don't know, about 80% of US was involved in some form of a farming related uh, production type of a job. And you would think that we'd get tractors and we'll get all these um, things and then everyone will be unemployed. So right now, only 2% of US is involved in farm-related jobs. And that's why there is always a non-farm payroll and farm payroll kind of a thing in the stats statistics because that's how old it was because everyone worked in farming. But now, only 2%. That does not mean that the remaining 78% of Americans are unemployed. They are employed in other professions because the size of the whole pie increased. And the same thing I see happening is that the AI is going to bring in so many more jobs that we just won't have enough people to fulfill. So right now, I know there is this whole talk of this recession and all this, which is overblown to let me give you some stats on why I have a contrarian approach to recession in 2023. What is the current unemployment rate in US? It is at the lowest level it has ever been in history of US. It is about 3.5%. And you would see all these headlines of, oh, Amazon is laying off people. Guess what, you know, Amazon laid off 18,000 or something. Guess what percentage of uh, workforce of Amazon that is? 90. I mean, they have over a million employees, so 18,000 is a drop in the bucket. Exactly. And at the same time, if you go to job search websites and LinkedIn, you will see they're hiring. So they are just restructuring their organization to cope better. And these would have happened in a regular time anyway, because they need to restructure and, and work accordingly. So they might hire a bit slower, but it is minuscule what the workforce and already there was a huge shortage of people in tech. It's like people are still getting paid over half a million dollar salaries in, as a tech and software developer with experience. So those are continuing. So it is just rebalancing as more uh, people enter the tech industry. And it's not like the, the number of startups is slowing down. There's still thousands of startups are going to be born in the whole AI space and they still need people. So they are going to be um, absolutely fine. And you have to remember the other side of thing, and that is that the tech makes less than 3% of the whole US employment. So this is a minuscule part of a very small part of the full employment scheme. And that's why most restaurants, cafes, places are still suffering from the ability to hire people because so many people are turning into content creators and influencers and, and all these other new professions that didn't used to exist, that there is in fact a shortage of people in US to work. So yeah, I, I do not see this um, happening, but it makes for a really, really good headline that this business or this one is um, is firing this many people. Why aren't they reporting on the employment numbers? Because... <laughs> We are at record employment around the whole world. And at the same time, developing countries are still growing at 8 to 10%. Both India and China, which is a third of the planet in population, are still growing to grow. I won't be surprised if in 2023, they grow at 8 to 10% this year. So, and at the same time, a lot of African economies, which are massive, like Nigeria, over 200 million people, they all those are still going to continue to grow massively this year. So we are... I don't see statistically, like when I look at these numbers, 
where is the recession coming from? So yeah, I mean, some people are going to hurt who have mortgages and stuff. But at the same time, as long as people are employed, it does negate a lot of the recession side of things. Like compared to the depression in the 1930s, where over 30% of people were unemployed. So it's nothing, it's nothing like that happening. So yeah, it is a lot of scaremongering by media. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Back to AI. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good point because ultimately AI is going to help us create more jobs and more jobs will result. And we can't even imagine what some of those jobs will be right now, but they will happen. Much like there was the Luddites who wanted no part of any machine doing their job in the late 19th century. And they might have violently opposed industrialization, but ultimately that ended up meaning more jobs for more people in the long term. And AI is no different. So for those who don't know, you have a podcast, Web3 with Sam Kamani. And why did you start that? And what are the topics that are people are most interested in talking about in that space? Ooh, there are so many, so many topics. It's such a big area. So one of the, the key topic there is, is decentralization and open source. Those would be two very big topics. The second, uh, or no, maybe the third topic would be the ability to program money. So just like every time we add innovation to money, the whole economy grows. To give you an, an example, if our money was tied to gold, then we would have a much smaller pie because we would have only that much money flowing in. Economic activity is created by money flowing in and access to credit. You want to start a business, you need access to credit. And that is something that China understood that US did really, really well. It's like if you are in US, you want a loan, you have access to credit. Like uh, you want a small loan, you want to start a business, you want to do something. Whereas if you are in a country like India, even in, in good times, you would pay 12 to 15% interest rate. Or if you are in Africa, you might even pay 25, 29% interest rate because access to credit is so much harder. And that's one of the reasons why the, I think the founder of Grameen Bank in Bangladesh won the Nobel Prize because they gave small loans to women wanting to buy sewing machines and stuff to make clothing and garments. And now it's, I think, the world's second largest manufacturer of clothing after, just after China. And it's like completely changed the country. It's like um, massively, massively increased their um, buying power and their um, incomes and their GDP per capita. So access to credit is absolutely vital for any business, for for any, you know, what is one of the hardest part of running a small business? And that's cash flow. I'm sure you and you know that <laughs> running a, a business yourself, um, it is one of the most stressful part. And if you have no access to credit, you could never start a business in the first place. So when you have things like blockchain, where there is a lot of innovation happening on top of money like you can pro it's you can think of it in layman terms as programmable money where you can have conditions that if this happens do this so say you have the business partner Mohammed in Pakistan so every time you get paid a 
20% or 30% automatically goes to him and 20% automatically goes to the team, the staff. So you could do things like that. And those things could work on smart contracts where the conditions are specified, what would happen. And then everyone who holds that gets a voting right into the company. So everyone in the team could vote. And, and so, or maybe it's between you and a board member and Mohammed that between three or four of you, you could vote and decide on which direction the team should move on. And all these things could be automated. And so this brings a, opens up a whole level of innovation. So now you can do things what needed middlemen and central parties and it needed a, um, a lot of oversight. So to give you an example, I might have given you, I'm not sure. So say, for example, you want to start an insurance company, it would take you a lot, a lot of work, years and years of, you know, consultants, lawyers, setting it up and everything. But whereas on the blockchain side, because it is programmable using smart contracts and using blockchain, you could create something like uh, insurance. Say you are a farmer, this is insurance for farmers. And if it rains too much, or if it rains too little on in your farm, then this insurance matures and you get paid out. So say, for example, every farmer pays $1,000 once a year into it, and there are 20 farmers in the pool. Each farmer is in a different state. So say, if in your state, it rained a lot last year and you lost your crop, you will get the whole fund minus 2% service fee. So whatever that smart contract has, and it will automatically change the weather data for your area, for your location, for all those farmers. So say if two farmers got flooded and there is 20,000 in the pool, 10,000 will go to one, 10,000 will go to the other farmer. So it this can whole work in an automated way and it's um, using something called oracle not the oracle the company it, this is the concept called oracle in in blockchain which connects with the real world data as, as you can think of so in this case it would be connected to weather data and the whole process could work in an automatic way without any human employment and and just like that you can have some sort of an insurance company set up really really quickly no customer service nothing it all works in an automated way so this is just one example now the utility of these sort of things or what you can build is limited to our creativity of what we can build mm, it's seriously insane when you think about there is no limit other than your own creativity so kind of a similar question to ask with ai like if i'm a business owner thinking to myself i've been a little bit hesitant, or maybe I haven't jumped on this. Is this something that could help like every business? And is there a future where this is like businesses that aren't capitalizing on this are going to be left behind? Is that the future that we're headed towards in your opinion? And if so, what can someone be doing proactively to embed blockchain and, or at least consider embedding some sort of blockchain component to help their business? What I really like is any technology that people don't need to learn about, that it automatically happens. So right now, you are using computer and we are using something called Zencaster. You do not need to understand the coding behind Zencaster. You do not need to understand your display is an OLED display. So you don't need to understand how OLED 
crystals work. And in similar way, you don't need to understand the architecture of your microchip in your computer at the moment. You don't need to understand, you know, how to lay it out, how to build it, anything like that. So the day that it reaches that stage, like we all watch TV, we don't care about whether it is a cathode ray tube or a liquid crystal display or a LED or OLED or QLED. We don't care. We just watch it. We just do it. And just like that, we use chatbots sometimes on websites. We don't care whether it's an AI or human, or sometimes we don't really know. We really can't tell because they're getting so much better. So they act as if they're human, but it could be an automated message. Um, A lot of them are not that good, but as time goes past, you would even have a video representative that you'd be able to chat with. And once again, you don't need to understand or how it is really built. So that's the stage that is when it reaches that a technology reaches its full potential. At the moment, I feel like blockchain is still a bit early because people have to learn a lot about blockchain before they interact with it to be safe because there are still a lot of bad actors in that space. There are still a lot of scams because it is still quite a bit more complicated. So it needs to reach to a stage and it is reaching in in some niches before it can be fully adopted by businesses. And with AI, it is a lot closer than in blockchain in many ways, because just like with GPT-3, you could interact. You did not need to learn many more new skills. I mean, previously you would need to. I feel like mid-journey is still a bit more complicated because for that you will have to join Discord and it works through Discord and you have to type a command in that and all that. So it's still a small learning curve for something like um, stable diffusion or mid-journey, which are AI for creating images. Whereas Chat GPT does not have that. You can be anyone on the street and can do that. So that's the key thing. I look for that. Is it removing friction? Is it providing convenience? And that dictates the engagement rate that that software will get or that that startup will get. Does it pass the dummy test? If you're able to use it without any pre-existing knowledge or skills, can you still navigate it easily? And chat GPT passes with flying colors because it's just super easy, which is why I think it's actually creating a virtual tipping point for AI because I think people are, their light bulbs are going off and they're starting to think, wow, this is not just kind of good. This is insanely good and insanely powerful. And I think people can start to imagine use cases in their own business. So, but in in lieu of that with blockchain, I'm still of the mind that early adopters get the most advantage of something. So yes. For, for somebody who's a bit more ambitious, who doesn't want to wait for the vanilla version that's so easy to use that anybody that wants to, you know, serve themselves some soft serve by simply pulling on a handle and then all of a sudden soft serve comes out and it goes into their cone. For somebody that's not waiting for that, like, is there something that they should be doing to at least see what options are available for how it could help their business? Okay, so... Let me give you a couple of benefits of using blockchain. Why would you want to use blockchain? And you can relate with those, then maybe it is for you because it's not for every business at this stage. So one of the key benefits of blockchain 
is that it is a lot more transparent. It is a lot more permissionless. So more people can build on it. I will explain why I'm saying saying these things. So, you know, there are software, say um, there is Google Spreadsheet and you want to build something on Google Spreadsheet or there is some CRM software like Salesforce or, or HubSpot or some other and or even like or a social media network like Twitter or something. You want to build something on top of that, you need access to their API. And then you can connect with those APIs and you can build on top of that. So you can build something like with searches, Twitters and finds and retweets. And so you can build something like that, sort of a software really fairly easily provided Twitter gives that API. So that is not permissionless. You need Twitter's permission for that. And Twitter can revoke that API in their update or something like that. So whereas blockchain is very, very different because with Twitter, all the data and everything stays in a centralized server. With blockchain, what it is, is you can think of it like not like a think of centralized server as like a drum. That's generally the image of a database, you know, like a drum with the hard drives in it where all the data is stored. Now we call it cloud because it's just connected online onto a server, but it's it's centralized. Whereas what happens in blockchain is that that data is divided into small blocks, which is connected like a daisy chain. And this is stored on not one centralized server, but on hundreds of thousands of people's computers, servers, nodes, whatever you want to call them across the globe. And there is a little bit of redundancy. So it's not like if one of someone switched off their computer, the whole chain will go down. There is redundancy. So it's still, everything still stays up. But there is there are two key benefits of this. One is transparency and one that it is immutable. So think of it like a chain. When you want to add another node to the chain, you end it at the end. So if you have someone's wallet address or if you have a token address, then you know who owned that coin before you. So I sold it to you and someone else. So you can see all the wallet addresses that it has interacted with. So the whole data is public visible to everyone with token addresses, with wallet addresses and all that. So um, it is permissionless. So you can just build things on it. You can build analytics products on it. You can build other things. And why you would want to do that is because you want more people to build on your product. It's just like more people create utility on Twitter. Twitter is more valuable. That is the reasoning why you want it in this sort of an open environment. That's why Web3 developers love open source. And then the other thing is, is immutable. So you cannot do anything dirty. You know, it's like any scams that happen, you can go and see who moved money to who because the chain is there. It's like, otherwise the argument would be, why can't they just go and change that? You cannot change it. It's completely immutable. So it is immutable and it is permissionless. So are these two things that are vital for your project? Are these two qualities do you need in your project? Then yes. And the third one is it's decentralized. So it's not by a centralized authority. So you won't be able to control it in a, in a way. But people who interact like the decentralized nature. Sometimes projects like to own things, but always, always as in like 
99.9% of the times, open source and decentralized wins against centralized and closed source. Because say, if you are a company like Microsoft, I mean, Microsoft is super big on open source. You have a not an open source product, which they did in back in the days. Then what happens is that they can only produce innovation as much as the size of their team. Whereas when things are open source, when they are permissionless, when they are a bit more decentralized, you have the whole world creating solutions on top of that. So it gets more adoption. It gets more engagement. So are you going for those sort of things? Then you think of blockchain. But if you don't have that sort of a plan, then you don't go for blockchain. Can you give a couple examples that would be like a business and how they've implemented it that need has those needs that you've just outlined and that they were able to leverage the power of blockchain and therefore accomplish a lot more as you've pointed out because you have now just not your immediate group working on it but it's it's much more broad than that yeah so let me make a fictitious example that serves this need better i mean i have real world examples as well i'll give one of those as well at a later stage but let me give you an example that i'm just making this up so say for example you had a podcasting software where you invited people to submit clips on it and then other people can remix rehash and re-edit those clips to make them either funnier, make them more engaging. And so if it was just your team creating it, and if your team is the only one editing those, there would be a limit to its creativity to the size of your team and the capability of your team. But if it was an open project where anyone could go and do that, anyone could connect their software with it, edit them as they want and share it, then there is a lot more creativity added to that. So that is kind of an example of why you would want to do that. A lot of this could be done in the Web 2 world, but Web 3 makes it a lot more um, open as well as you can program things in it. So you can program things and like, so every time then someone watches it, a part of the revenue from that ad goes a little bit to you, a little bit to the editor and, and so on based on the smart contract used or what's specified in that smart contract. So things like that can be done in the blockchain environment. One clear example of this is, are you familiar with AWS? Sure. Yeah. So where does Amazon's revenue come from? <laughs> Pretty much all the profitability <laughs> of it comes from AWS. It loses money often on the e-commerce side of things, but it's supplemented by revenue from AWS. So anytime a startup is hosted, an app is hosted on iOS or Android or anywhere, a lot of those mobile apps, they live on millions of them. They live either on Google Cloud or AWS or Microsoft Azure and also individual startups, millions of startups around the world host things. And AWS charges them anywhere from thousands of dollars to hundreds of thousands, if not even millions of dollars to run that. And that's where Amazon makes all its money pretty much nearly all its money. And so does Microsoft make a lot of its money from cloud and stuff. All this remains in servers or data farms, all the data. And it's stored in various different servers. The data is there, accessed through there. But there is a similar model where 
this is not hosted in AWS, but it is distributed around the world, around multiple computers, thousands of computers in type of a blockchain, like a distributed ledger. And people don't need to know. They just provide this company with your, like you provide them with your hard drive because you've got another computer you're not using. You provide its hard drive and a part of someone's app will be stored there, part in somewhere else. So you can't, you cannot see because it's scrambled data. It's only part data, you know, uh, part of it, you know, you cannot steal it or do anything with it. It's all scrambled. So you would do that. And for to that, for using your power, electricity, your computer, they will recompensate you. So the app will pay this company something and then it will pay everyone whose hard drive they're using, whose computer, electricity, everything they're using. So you are kind of part of a larger server. So that is already happening and thousands of apps are hosted like that. And this is going to prove a huge, huge competition for companies like AWS, Azure, Google Cloud Partners, Alibaba, all these who are in the cloud space. So that is a realistic example of why where it's currently being used. And it's it's so disruptive Yes, as a result of it because what it's doing is it's doing the same work that you're seeing these other companies do, but it's distributed and de- decentralized. I'm sure from a cost perspective, going to make all the different... Massive difference, yeah. yes. It doesn't name all these salespeople and all these that thousands and thousands of people that AWS employs, it doesn't need that many people because it's all distributed. It's all individuals. You manage your own computer. You start it on. You, you, you know, you, it's in your home and you get paid uh, like a small cent, which like a small amount, but it was already being there, not used. It's on. I can see the computer behind you. <laughs> and so might as well make some money out of it. Um, so that's what is being happening. That's just one niche in one use case. There are thousands of use cases, which we probably don't have time to go into, but but there is it is a, once again limited to your creativity on how you want to make something more distributed, more decentralized, more permissionless, and immutable. So you have to see where you can, if these have benefit in your niche, in your business. And once again, it will be case by case uh, basis. Um, And that's where you will use this technology. So my final question to you is if you were going to counsel yourself, let's say that you are a young entrepreneur just starting out and, but you have all the knowledge that you have today and you were going to counsel yourself and you were just getting into, let's just call it startup mode. Cause this is something that you're you specialize in startups. As a human startup, yeah. <laughs> and you have an in-depth knowledge of AI, of Web3, and all the, the landscape of what exists today. And so again, if, if let's just say that you had all the knowledge that you have and you were going to whisper in your ear, do this in 2023, and you were going to start a business, what industry or approach would you take to your business, including incorporating blockchain or AI or anything like what, if you could just have like a minute or two minutes and that's all you had to give yourself that advice, what advice would you give yourself if you were starting a business today? Very good question. I love this question. And one of the easiest questions for me to answer, super, super simple. The more that the technology 
increases and speeds up and has this new innovation and disruptive tech, the more the soft skills are valuable. So I would put all my energy in developing my soft skills. And that means networking, the ability to talk with people, the ability to present yourself, the ability to build that human connection. I would just go hard on that because those are going to be a lot more valuable because everything to do with AI is getting commoditized. Everything to do with a lot of the other tech is getting commoditized. So, you know, everyone can build ChatGPT in the next two hours by using the same API from OpenAI, they are all competing just on basis of price. So there isn't much difference. It's like everyone can write the blog, blog post to write a book using AI. So then there is no value left in that. It is commoditized, just like taking a, taking a picture. Of course, there'll be some specialization in that, but the most valuable is humans. The ability to um, have empathy, the ability to... Um, what do you call relate with another human being and build that connection build that friendship in, invaluable and and that's what i would go hard in soft skills so if that's the skill that you develop those soft skills i think it's brilliant advice how can one apply those skills in what industry or industries would you be most interested because your your points are very valid especially in the tech space it's speeding up, you're commoditizing. The landscape is becoming more of a A, B, C, and D can all do the same thing. We're just going to compete on price to yeah. deliver A, B, C, or D. Yeah. So it becomes very competitive, hyper-competitive, and therefore very much based on price. So would you go in an, another direction? Would you move out of tech? Would you? No, no, I wouldn't move out of tech. I would still stay in tech because tech gives productivity and productivity increases is crucial. That's why tech salaries are some of the highest globally throughout the world. Does not matter. You go from one country to another country. What I would do is use my soft skills to build relationships that place me in the right place at the right time. So that's what I mean by soft skills. So that's what um, if I was younger, I would put more uh, pressure on myself to improve my soft skills because every job that I've done, every business that I've owned, I have gotten that using my soft skills. It's not by sending my CV. I, I've sent hundreds of places my CV. I've never got accepted. But building that relationship, it's completely different. I can pretty much now go to anywhere in the most places in the world and stay for free because <laughs> I've got friends now everywhere, just like I <laughs> come and stay with you. And, and of course, you're also most welcome <laughs> to New Zealand, but it is invaluable. You know, you building your own personal network, having soft skills, that, that is the number one skill because that will allow you to get any contract you want because everyone is just competing on price because you have this, relationship with the founder of of the next google of the next microsoft of the next tesla so that that's why yeah soft skills and if we're thinking about now in the right place right time do you have a a sense on if let's just when you have kids kayla and i know they're not of age that we're talking about like let's just call it early 20s mid 20s but if they were asking you let's say they were in that age range and they were saying okay dad, we know we need to develop those soft skills and focus on networking and all of those things. Is there a type of business that you would point them towards? The thing is that I can only point them towards what I have experience with. So I already take my nine-year-old, I'll be taking them since he was eight, 
to a lot of the business networking events and meetings that I go to, whether it is a demo night at a university where startups are pitching to another sort of tech conferences. I just take him, if they are in the same town and if it's not um, interrupting his school day, I just take him with me. And he is the youngest person there and he gets so much attention and he gets to interact with people, you know, five times his age, like um, shake hands with the mayor or with the PM or or like prime minister or anyone in. So it it does a lot for his self confidence as well as puts him in that frame of mind that yes I can be there I belong there sort of a thing. So I'm already doing that and I'll do the same for the six year old. In fact, my plan is to in the next one or two years even start taking him overseas with me on different events, conferences, and stuff. Mm, love it, man. What a great way to bring your passion and love and knowledge of building relationships, networking, practicing those soft skills you talked about and making it something that he can do at such a young age. Because imagine flash forward 10 years from now, if you keep doing that, especially with with all your kids, they're going to have a huge advantage over kids who haven't had that kind of opportunity or exposure. So in closing... I want you to share a little bit about what you do at Cookbook and anything that someone should know about your show, where they could find you. Obviously, we've mentioned a couple of times, but please go check out Web3 with Sam Kamani. It's some amazing guests, some great topics. If you want to explore and go deeper into a lot of the things we talked about today, you could find that there. Um, Where else can people find you and what else is sort of on the docket for the this year, 2023 for Sam Kamani? Yeah, sure. Thank you for asking that question. Um, You can find me at Sam Kamani, S-A-M-K-A-M-A-N-I, samkamani.com. And um, you'll find all my links, any recent talks I'm giving over there. I do work as part of the Cookbook's founding team. And what cookbook.dev is like, it's a developer platform where you can go and create smart contracts or any smart contracts you don't even need to know how to code it is a place to say you want to create a contract which is like an escrow for payments or with vesting or with voting rights or create your own DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization you can go and create it over there so that's what the platform that we have built we work quite closely with a lot of different chains in the blockchain space l1 l2 chains and also quite a few different protocols so yeah, so that's uh, on the work side. Uh, feel free to check out Web3 with Sam Kamani. It is a Web3 podcast where I talk about opportunities and where the space is going and a bit more on the developer side of things. Some episodes can be technical, but a lot of them I try and break it down so anyone can understand some of the technical aspects of Web3 and the blockchain world. One thing I don't do on my podcast is talk about prices of token or speculate on on what price is going where or anything like that. So it is um, slightly different compared to any other sort of crypto or blockchain um, podcast. So yeah, that's, that's about me. What is um, ahead in 2023 is to 
work with good projects. I love meeting other founders and of other startups, especially in the Web3 blockchain AI space. So if you are building something, feel free to reach out. Anytime you want to brainstorm, I will be at quite a few ETH global events later this year. So I'll be at ETH Denver next month, um, which is in starts in end of Feb and quite a few other ETH global events or DevCon or things like that. So yeah, just feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or, or anywhere. And yep. Thanks, man. Well, I, I'm uh, very glad that you're making these global trips because I get to have the benefit of seeing you face to face and going to get ramen or ribs or whatever. Likewise. Are you, he, and Sam came to California and introduced me to a new type of taco uh, that I didn't even know I should have known existed, but didn't know. And thank you for that. If nothing else, we could uh, eat our way to uh, happiness and uh, appreciate (laughs) appreciate all that you provide, your wisdom, your experience. And also, I really appreciate the modeling that you're doing of what it means to be a great parent and help your your kids on their own path. And there's not you're never too young to start learning those soft skills that can be applied because to your point. Those are going to be the skills that are most valuable in the future. And those are going to be the skills that will separate the leaders from those who are there to follow the leaders. So uh, to create leaders, you have to give them the, the types of skills they need to be as, as successful as possible. The empathy, the self-awareness, uh, the communication skills, all those things are so, so, so deeply valuable. So Sam, you're a legend. Love every moment we get to chat and connect. And I'm glad that we were able to memorialize this in an episode. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for organizing. And I look forward to your journey and how you have continued to progress and go from strength to strength. So, so looking forward to 2023. I truly believe that it's going to be a great year for you and for your business. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.